So I have a bumper sticker on my car that reads, Honk if you think I'm sexy. And there are some days when I will just sit at a green light until I feel better about myself. This is Across the Table, the podcast of Hannibal the Magician. Welcome and welcome. Pull up a chair, grab a beverage, make sure you stay hydrated out there. Summer may be past, but the heat goes on and got to keep yourself uh, keep yourself hydrated and, and uh, healthy. Hey, it's Hannibal. Thanks for joining me again. Um, it has been an incredible, intense week since I last spoke with you. Uh, lots of highs and, and really depressing lows, not just for me, but for the whole world as well. It is a, it is a very interesting time that we live in right now, but I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that I'm here and, and I'm going to continue with my lifelong quest of attempting to bring feelings, happy, good, cleansing feelings uh, to you and then the people that I love to, uh, to continue my, my quest for personal love, for worldwide love, for peace. I don't, uh, I don't have any illusions that... My words are going to change the world, but maybe my world, my words will change the person who will change the world. Eh, these are these are things that I think about when it's three o'clock in the morning, and I have horrible writer's block, and I'm unable to get started because I have so much I want to talk about and so much ground I want to cover that I'm not entirely sure of exactly where to start. Luckily, I got a call from Lily von Stupp who gave me a, a nice idea for a, a structure of an outline of where to take it and what I, what I want to talk about, and especially what I want to get across today. Before I get started on everything, a special shout-out for my, my friends over at geekgrills.com. Geekgrills.com. They, they have always supported me uh, in, this, uh, in these efforts, and they... Uh, they featured me on their program, and I, I'm ever grateful for uh, for their friendship and for the work that they do. Um, make me very happy. Also, uh, the burlesquepodcast.com. I'm gonna make sure I got that right. I'm gonna take a quick look up look up on that to make sure I got this correct, because Lily is also uh, running her own podcast, the Burlesque Podcast. Um, talking about burlesque and all things burlesque from the queen of burlesque herself it is burlesquepodcast.com there's no the there so burlesquepodcast.com i happened to be featured on one of the new episodes just last week and we talked about the final monday night tease and the things that went on there and we talked about art and artistic expression and all kinds of adult topics that I won't go into here, but it is well worth your listen. So burlesquepodcast.com and geekgrills.com, well worth your time and effort. I am not paid to say those things. I say them because I love the people that produce them. 
A few years ago, back in 2011, I was doing a series of trade shows, as I've mentioned before, for a company known as P2I. They were the innovators of nanotechnology for small electronics to make them not waterproof, but water-resistant. And there's a word for that, and it is hydrophobic. That's the word I'm looking for. To make small electronics or, or anything down on that level, they, they also ventured into sports equipment and sports clothing to make them hydrophobic, which is they, they shy away from water. Water shies away from them. It's not a complete waterproofing. It's done on the molecular level. It's going to be a little science-y and stuff to, uh, to make things water-resistant. And the, the demonstrations they had were just fascinating. And they brought me in uh, for a series of trade shows to help draw a crowd because at the time, the technology was brand new. And people just, they couldn't believe it. It was on the par with magic, which the famous quote of, you know, anything sufficiently, et cetera, et cetera. And, I, of course, I should have been prepared and had it down with my notes, but I did not. Um any advanced technology is sufficiently solved. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> it is my brain is not in a place right now to, to recall Arthur C. Clarke quotes. But uh, I tell you what, I will do. I will put it in the description uh, of this podcast. So you go look there. The quote will be there, as well as why not? I'll put the links to burlesque.com, burlesquepodcast.com, and Geek Girls there as well. So in case you missed it from me saying it a dozen times. It'll be in the description, and you can find it there. So, back to my point, which I do in fact have one. A few years ago, I was working for this company, and they had a series of trade shows throughout Europe, uh, several of them in Germany, and each stop was its own story, from the absolutely ludicrous to the breathtaking, along with... uh, a group of prostitutes uh, calling my name from across the square... And uh, that that's a, an article that was written up in Genie and a story that I've told a few times, which I'll, I'll tell again someday. But today I'm going to focus, I'm going to actually focus and pull myself in, because I'm starting to ramble again, to Nuremberg. We did a show in Nuremberg, Germany. And for the history buffs who know, and for the people that just have heard rumors and some other such things, or maybe you just touched on it in school, I'm not sure what your familiarity is, but the trials from World War II were held there, and a lot of the, uh, a great deal of the speeches that Hitler made were from the Zeppelin field in Nuremberg. So when, when I got to the city itself, and a group of us from the team were walking to dinner the first night we were there, I was struck by... The Like a lot of the, the towns and the hamlets and things that I discovered in Germany are a mixture of the old stone edifices and the, the stones that were laid for, for the roads and everything else right next door to or even combining with glass and chrome and, and a brand new, more modern look. And it's, it's somewhat striking and, and somewhat dissettling. Uh, to have these kinds of things one right next to each to each other, you've got literally castles that are hundreds of years old right next to the new Levi's store, which is all chrome and glass and bright colors and uh, you know modern advertising. So that can be a, a 
striking at first. It can be unsettling in, in your first notices. But <clears throat> after we had checked out the venue the next day and, and gone over some things, I had a few hours to spare before I had to be at work. And so I took a, a little walking tour of the places in Nuremberg. And one of the places that I went was the Zeppelin Field, which if you just kind of picture a, a football stadium or any athletic stadium, it's very, very much like that. And I stood in the place where Hitler delivered his his crowd rallying, where he delivered his manifestos, where he spoke his mind in both pride and anger to his soldiers, to his troops, and, and that's where they received it. I stood in his footprints, and it was one of the most surreal things, one of the most surreal experiences I've ever had in my life. Going back not even a hundred years, I mean, we, we tend to think of these things, the historical things, the the, the massive world wars and things in ancient history, but it, it really was not that long ago. The grass, the, the turf, if you will, was intensely green that I, that I could see, that I could remember. Uh, I stood there, and there was a light breeze blowing, and of course I wasn't alone. There were a number of, of other tourists that were there ex- with the same experience, and all of us were just completely quiet. It was, it was very library-like, very solemn in that place because it wasn't just a place that great atrocities were maybe not birthed but given voice to and and people were inspired to do horrible things in this place there's a there's a heaviness in the air about it and and I don't believe that I imagined it I'm, I'm not terribly woo when things like that happen but for want of a better word, you could almost feel the ghost of the place. They've kept it fairly much the way it was back in 1935 when, when all of these things happened. And, and it's just, it's eerie and it's, it's spooky. And I'm not entirely convinced that if you took someone who didn't know what happened there, like if you, if you walked them in and you, you showed them around... I would almost believe that it's so palpable that the the feeling in the place is just so palpable with, and here's a here's a dodgy word with evil, with with the 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 evil that was perpetrated there with the 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 feeling of shifting minds into a place of fear rather than love. I am not convinced that they wouldn't feel it or feel that something was off or amiss just simply about the place, and to make it. A little bit more spooky. As I was standing there, as I was in the place and I was looking out and, and trying to imagine thousands and thousands of troops standing there listening to my words and to his words, and they're just trying to cast my mind back there to time travel carefully back to that time, feel the raw power of the of the anger and the pride and the 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 hatred that he was spewing from that point I didn't want to overwhelm myself but as I was standing there uh, a half a mile away or maybe less there was a football game and by football I mean soccer there was a football game going on at another stadium at a place that was nearby and because of the way the wind was blowing 
you could hear the the crowd in that arena cheering and it carried those cheers and those that that excitement to where I was and not just where I was but where my brain was and where my my heart had tossed itself back to so I'm standing in the Zeppelin field and I'm hearing in the distance the cheers and shouts of a massive crowd and it it wasn't that difficult to to feel the same thing to feel the the energy negative energy that went through there and the the one of the most horrifying things at least to me about this place about this and it's just a building it's just an arena it's just a a grassy field with with seats on one end and and a place for thousands of people to stand if they wanted to and having seen photographs of it and and having approached it um, from outside standing in the midst of it it seemed an awful lot smaller on the inside than it was on the outside it seemed vast and intimidating on the outside and then when I got inside and standing actually on the turf and in the place it seemed small but like concentrated evil small that's awfully woo but the thing about that 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 energy that was put in there is that the people that were accepting it and the madman that was delivering it absolutely thought he was right he was uh, you know I can't put my head into that particular mindset so this is all just speculation on my part but he had such a love and a pride for quote his people and quote his country that he felt that the fear he was delivering was actually done for the love of his people and his country and it was a mask for his own lust for power and insanity because the man was insane you you cannot hold that much hatred anger and fear inside of you and not go insane and so he spewed it out to millions of others of like mind and and they went and they they did their job and i and i speculated and this has been i mean this has been six years ago I speculated at that point about our leaders at the time and how easily it it could be to sway a a, a number of the population off to one side. And six years on, in 2017, I'm looking at the leadership of of not only our country, but the madmen around the world who hold the power and and who wield it ungraciously. And... um, it's more than a little bit frightening. It's, it's stone looking back at the stone of the time that was and seeing it in their eyes and in their time, that was the height of the technology. That was the best of what they had to do. And fast forwarding it now, and our culture is chrome and glass. It's the same kind of structure. It occupies the same space and it carries the easily swayed in its simplicity and its attractiveness. And so the the challenge is 
to recognize the evil before it gets out of hand. And it's not easy. We all have our own opinions and we all have the way we were raised and the, and the things we were taught that were good things and, and wholesome things that we turn out later aren't so very much. I don't mean to insult anyone, and I'm certainly not telling anyone <clears throat> that what they believe is wrong, or, or I'm not going to challenge anyone's faith, but blind religion or only doing good works so that you can live better after you die doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Why not live better simply for the idea of living better? Why not love now simply for loving now rather than trying to gain points with a higher deity? Why not why not love for love's sake is what I'm saying. And not just love of us versus them, but love for all of us here on this on this tiny spinning ball of stone, chrome, and glass that we're, we're trapped on. We get, what, 90 years at best? I mean, and not all of them great years, and, 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 and towards the end, I'm going to go off on a tangent again if I start that, but we get, what, 90 years at best to do the best work we can do, to love as many people as we can, to embrace and, and kiss and hold and, and, and share emotional burdens with your fellow people, your fellow man, your fellow woman. The, there's no reason other than love for love's own sake. And I, and I was, stru- was struck by the evil and the fear that existed in that place. And it, it, it horrifies me that the, the places that I love now, my city and the people that I care about and, and the friends that I have, eventually becoming history of, of evil in itself. I have friends that legitimately fear for their lives because of the colors of their skins. I have friends that fear for their own health and their own lives because of their sexuality, because of the people they love. How about that? Let's make it that simple. They fear for their lives because of the people they love, because there are other people who are so violently opposed to someone loving someone they don't approve of or or a, a couple they don't understand and fear they would literally take a life to make a point. And I am dismayed by, by some of my friends who can't quite seem to see it. it you people frighten me more. My, my ultra-conservative friends, and I love you for exactly who you are, and, and I love you for the friends that you are, and I love you as human beings, but some of you are, it seems to me, purposefully blind. You're not seeing the humanity. You, you're, you're holding on to things that aren't important. You're holding on to, to fear of the things you don't know or putting down cultures you don't understand. And that scares me more than, than some of the other things that, that you would be so blind in your, in, in your own privilege 
that you're not seeing the, the pain of others. Because there's so much we could do together. There's, there's so much more as a, as a species we could be doing if we could just get past our own pride. It didn't go quite where I wanted it to, but, but that's me, man. You, you, you take it or you leave it. So from there, and I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to write that story up now and in more detail for uh, the Genie article. That will be not the next one that comes out from me, but the following one probably in the first quarter of next year. Uh, to write my experiences in Nuremberg and the people that I met and the, the the stones that I touched and the footprints that I walked in and how that ties into doing what I do. I, I was there for a company. I was there on a corporate dollar. My entire purpose, my entire job at that point was to, to attract a crowd to their booth. To, to bring them in so that they could demonstrate the product that they had, which at the time was very novel and very new, and they wanted as many people to see it as they possibly could, to find investors, to find clients, and etc. My secondary drive in that was, you know, of course, I'm going to do my job. I have been hired to do a job, and that's what I do. But I'm specifically hired for the skills that I have. And one of the skills that I have is to bring joy and make people laugh and make people amazed. So my secondary task in this was to bring some light and laughter and happiness to this otherwise corporate setting, uh, especially in a cold, industrial, to me, city like Nuremberg. So I did that thing. I went and I did my job. And I made a lot of people laugh. And, and I broke a lot of ice between people that weren't talking to each other before. I made a bridge. I am a bridge builder. I am an ice breaker. And, and, and those are two of my favorite job descriptions of exactly what it is I do. I do card tricks, yeah. But I change lives. And I'm, I'm, in my own way, I'm very proud of that. I'm not letting my pride get in, my, get in the way of, what I, of my sense of right or my sense of decency or my sense of love. But I am proud of what I have done with the ability that was put in my hands. I have a job to do. And my job is to make the world a little bit lighter. So, last week, after I had finished the podcast, in fact, just a very few minutes after I had finished the podcast, my friend Charlie Starling, who lives in Vegas, uh, posted that where she was, uh, 30 cop cars had just suddenly driven by, like a huge mass of police cars had, had driven by where she was, and she wondered what was going on. And in the hours to follow, it, it unfolded that there was a man on the 32nd floor with high-powered rifles firing into a crowd, and he ended up wounding, damaging more than 500 and killing 59. 59 as of this time right now. I know there are others that are in critical condition that may or may not make it, but he took three score lives, close to three score lives, 59 people, people with loved ones, people with children, people with wives, husbands, mothers and fathers. He ended rich, accomplished lives, apparently just on a whim, out of fear and hatred, 
and anger. He shot out windows and then shot out of windows. And I don't think he had to do much aiming. There were so many people on the street in his in his sight that he could just simply sweep and, and, and hold the trigger down in this weapon that he had converted to automatically fire more bullets on a, on a continuous basis. And he stood in his perch and he mowed them down. And the debate went up almost immediately about how did he get so much ammunition? How did he get so many guns? What regulations need to be in place to, to keep or, or at least help prevent some of this from happening? And I know all the arguments. I know the arguments on both sides. I happen to fall on the side of major overhauls of gun regulation. We regulate almost everything in this country. Why are we not? Why do we not have heavier regulations on firearms? I am not against firearms. I am not against guns. Having a handgun probably saved my daughter's life a couple of years ago when a man that she knew from work, a guy that she wasn't someone she was dating, it wasn't someone she had ever uh, encouraged or anything else, he just decided he was going to come to her house and break in. And as he was trying to break in, her dog started barking and woke her up. And when she woke up and realized what was going on, she got her gun, she got her handgun, and she let him know she had it, and she... I. I don't remember if she showed it to him or if she let him know positively she had it and she wasn't afraid to use it. He left. And later the law came in and, and took over, took, you know, took care of the, the situation. But if she hadn't had it, if she, who knows? I, I, I don't like to think about what if. But the fact is, I have no problem with people owning guns. And I am dismayed by the proliferation of one person and not having someone somewhere regulating or saying, this this guy seems to be stockpiling. Maybe we should look into it. You couldn't buy that many Sudafed without a flag going up somewhere on somebody's desk and, and an investigation being made. So why why the proliferation? Why, why was he allowed without at least a question. You know, I'm not saying take away freedoms. No, I'm saying regulate and maybe save, you know? And and it seems to be a big problem because the guy isn't doesn't fall into any of the regular categories that some people seem to embrace. He was a rich old white dude. And he went out and he killed people. And there are people that dragging their feet that are dragging their feet literally about, well, maybe we should do now's not the right time. Now's not the right time. Well, if not right now, then then when will be the right time? And that seems to be the question that keeps coming up again and again. If not now, when? Let's set a date. Let's let's put a, a stamp on the calendar and say that this needs to be addressed and some kind of change needs to be made by this time. Because it will happen again. And it will happen again, and it will happen again and again and again. And maybe there's somebody somewhere just going, well, let's keep 
letting the herd thin itself out. I don't know. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any stretch of the imagination. I don't believe in any of that. This was one guy with his nest of guns. And there are people like that in this world. And there's more that we don't know about yet. And some may do it just for the headlines. Some may do it just to have their name in history. Some may do it because they're just genuinely angry or they've had enough. Whatever the reason, our job, my fellow entertainers, the people that listen to me, the people that love me, the people that care about me, my job, our job is the opposite. We, Our job is to spread love. Our, our job is to uplift, to say there is a better way that you can... You can certainly do this angry thing that you're going to do, and there's little that we can do to stop you. It seems that there's little that we're willing to do to stop you, or you could love, and you could have compassion for the people that are still here, and try to live your life in a way that that demonstrates that love. I don't have a solution for Vegas. I do card tricks for a living. My living consists of trying to make people happy, trying to ease their burdens, trying to remove fear and add joy into lives. And I'm dedicated to that. I I don't have a, a, a great immediate solution. I've heard some good ones. I've heard some fairly rational thought on the idea, and I think it's worth your while to look into those things as well. My point is, don't believe that you're absolutely right in your view. I don't know that I'm absolutely right in my view. So I can't firmly believe it. This is why I can openly admit to you that I'm not sure of what the solution is. I know that it was wrong, and I know that it was evil, and it was a angry, evil white man shooting from a window and not caring who he hit, what age, what race, what, whatever group of people. He didn't care. I'm putting myself in speculation here. But, of course, he didn't choose you know, a specific group. It was a, a large, diverse crowd that he fired into. Immediately after that, the very, very next day, as the nation is mourning and shook and shaken and, and torn apart, and I having over a dozen, maybe two dozen friends in the Vegas area, desperately seeking for word that they were okay, that they were alive and and they were in a safe place. Um, When that many people get hurt, injured, or or, or killed, and I, I have a large contingency of friends that live in that area, of course, my heart goes out and my heart gets scared and I'm wondering... You know, are you okay? And and eventually it, it turns out that everyone that I know turned up safe and everything was fine. But I have, I mean, there are friends of close friends who did get killed in that, in that massacre. So I'm that close to it. I have a friend uh, from Canada who had a friend in the crowd that didn't make it. So it, it, it affects us. It affects us individually and personally. And we ought to address it that way. And we ought to address it calmly and soberly and not hysterically. The hysteria took place already. It's, it's 
been expressed and it's been done and people are dead. Now, now is the time to say this is the time. This is the time to talk about it calmly and soberly and find a solution and stop the madness. There's a, there's a sound bite for you. Hannibal the Magician says stop the madness. But while all else of this was going on, it turns up that, uh, that Tom Petty died. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, uh, some, a, a musician that uh, I can remember in my life, 11 years old, when his first album came out. And uh, his songs were a staple on the kind of radio that I listened to. And even more so as I grew up and in my teenage years, he was there and he had his own, his own take on things. And his, some of his songs were heartbreaking. He had a tradition, if you'll forgive me of the comparison, but to me, Tom Petty was my generation's Bob Dylan in, in some of the things and the social justices as well as his own personal uh, observations and the way things went. Uh, his philosophy was very much mine, especially... As a born and bred Southern boy growing up in North Carolina, the things he sang about made sense to me. And um, just like that, he was gone. Uh, there were several false reports about when exactly that he died, but <clears throat> when he was in full cardiac arrest and they got him to the hospital and there was no brain activity, I am close enough to that situation to know that he was gone already. Whatever spirit that was Tom Petty had already departed. Now, I'm not trying to pull those two things together, to pull those two stories together or make them make sense, crossbred against each other, but these are the things that were going on within 24 hours of the last time I made a podcast. Jason Aldean was on stage. There were people gathered Thousands of people gathered to hear him sing, to hear him perform, to have him raise and lift their spirits. And a good number of them didn't walk away. Tom Petty changed lives. Tom Petty sang of the, of the dark times and of the, of the hard times and, and everything else that goes on in life. He, he sang and he wrote honestly. And in a moment... And in just a moment, when we weren't looking, he was gone. There's a southern accent where Just a motel 
Tom Petty, among many, many others who taught me to have my own way of talking, has left this particular mortal coil. And we are a little bit poorer for it, but we do have the wealth of what he left us and his legacy and the ghost he left on his canvas that can be with us for the rest of our lives. After a really, really rough start to the week. I still had a job to do. I was booked in Orlando to perform at the Genie Convention. Genie is a conjurer's magazine. It's for about and for working uh, magicians. It is one of the oldest publications of its type in the world, and um, some of the some of the greats have uh, graced its pages. I write a column. I write a column for them, which is published bi-monthly, and um, the uh, the publisher enjoyed my work, uh, my performance work, that he saw me at a different convention at and invited me to come and perform and uh, enjoy some fellowship with my fellow magicians down in Orlando. It uh, it's one of the higher caliber. It's it's actually one of the one of the more fun conventions I've ever been to. Uh, I had a really, really great time, and I, I, I got to spend some time with some incredible people. Um, and I presented my show, so I, ha- I had a job to do. I couldn't take the time in, in because of my business and because of what I'm obligated to do. And, and because of the sheer love of what I have to do, I did not have the time to grieve or to mourn, perhaps, uh, as long as I might have wanted to. So I, I traveled to Orlando to do card tricks, to hang out with magicians, to meet with old friends that I haven't seen in a while, to make new friends, and to expand my craft and my art as I, as I move forward on my own road. And my heart was not in it. I will tell you that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, no cough button on my... Uh, on my podcast, I my heart was not in it. I, I did not feel up to the task of performing, and I was debating myself about what, exactly what I was going to present, and and what kind of uh, effects and magic that I was going to bring to the table for this for this show. But I got to Orlando, and I was picked up at the airport by uh, by the people running the the, the shuttle service. And taken to the to the to the venue, which was the Florida Hotel in Orlando, and the uh, the ladies that picked me up were uh, complimentary to the things they had seen me do. They they loved the work that I had presented forward. So that was it was a nice greeting. It was a wonderful way to hit town, you know. And then I got to registration, and and everything changed for me in a moment. And let me tell you what happened. 
I went to the registration desk, and uh, the woman that was working the registration desk I had never seen before. I did not know who she was. She was uh, a lovely redheaded woman with just energy just bursting out of her huge smile as, uh, as I walked up. And she recognized me immediately. I'm, I'm fairly recognizable, you know, unless you think I'm Wolfman Jack. <clears throat> but uh, she recognized me immediately, stood up and came out from behind the table uh, to hug me. She, she asked if she could hug me. And she told me that she was dying to meet me. She had just she had seen my videos. She had seen the the things that I had done, and so that's how she knew what I looked like. But she just really wanted to meet me, and she told me now now little background on this. The woman's name uh, is Jane Solomon, and Jane helped the the current publisher owner to obtain the magazine when about twenty years ago, when it became available. She had been publisher, she had been editor, she had been proofreader. I think she's still working the the the, the proofreading side of, of the magazine itself. And she told me, she looked me in the eyes and she said, I've been doing this for decades. I have I've been with Jeannie forever and, and read tons of things and everything that, that's been published. But yours is the first column that really made me cry, that made me feel so deeply that it brought tears to my eyes. And I'm so grateful for that ability. I mean, yeah, I do card tricks and I, and I write pretty well. I have a nice vocabulary and I know how to tell a story. And saying it like that maybe makes it sound trivial, but, but the ability that I have to touch lives like that is 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 immeasurable, and and the, I cannot express to you how grateful I am that I followed it. And it, not to say that to brag on myself or to say, look, you know, what a great thing I did, but I did a, do a great thing. My point in telling you or relating to this, the whole reason that I do this podcast and tell these stories, is that you also have that ability. Most people go through their lives, I'm going to say the vast majority of people go through their lives ignoring the ability they have and trying simply to make a living, uh, to, to pay their bills, to pay their rent, which is a necessary needed thing. Yeah, of course it is, but but I, I still firmly believe that if you embrace your ability and the things you're able to do, that the other things take care of themselves. They, they certainly always have for me. And yes, there's been struggle, and yes, there's been really hard time, but they all worked themselves out in large part because I was doing what I was made to do. You have that ability also inside of yourself. I change lives. You can change lives. And I'm going to tell you from this end of it, from, from, from my perspective and looking at it, a moment like that, a simple moment where a stranger embraces you and tells you the, the joy that you brought them is above and beyond any paycheck I ever got, above and beyond any monetary compensation or standing ovation or, or anything else because I touched a life and I improved a moment for a complete stranger.
that I might never have met. And who knows the ones that I never will meet that, that my words are touching and moving. And it's, it's the most incredible, incredible feeling. It's, 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 it's pure love. I put my love out into the universe and it came back to me in a, in a highly concentrated form. She doesn't know what she did for me because of what I did for her. And I have a new friend because of it. So then I experienced four days, four and a half days of intense magic instruction and camaraderie and <clears throat> drunken discussions over the philosophy of different magic and, and everything else. And it was, it was simply amazing. For those of you who aren't uh, among my, my magic cohorts, um, I, I watched an interview with David Blaine. I watched him sew his mouth shut in front of 500 people. I, I, had, uh, I got to speak with uh, people that I, I, whose work I admired a lot. Uh, David Ben and Paul Harris and uh, Michael Amar and et cetera and et cetera and et cetera and, and TC Tahoe and, and and just I, I could name tons of names you'd never heard of, um, but people who whose writings uh, inspired me uh, along my path and and made me better for what they put down. And in the midst of it, I presented my act uh, twelve times over the course of two days. During the uh, during the close-up show, and going into it, I, I debated with myself which way, what direction are you going to take this in? What do you want to uh, leave them with? You know, I, I've got a responsibility. They're they're going to come and see me work. Some of the greats in my business are coming to see me work, and um, what do I want to say about myself? What do I want to put in front of them? And I had the option of doing the Pringles Act, and, and hopefully you know me well enough to know exactly what I'm talking about, doing the Pringles Act, the card under the can routine, or uh, my other option that I gave myself was to do silver memories and ice cream memories, the, the full um, push-up pop saga. And one would be, uh, both of them are, are technically challenging and both of them are, are very magical in my opinion. Um, and one of them is more lighthearted and whimsical and, and funny and sarcastic and would leave them with one feeling, you know, one of, one of, uh, happiness and relief and, and joy, which is great. And that's the Pringles act. And the other one would leave them more thoughtful, maybe a little nostalgic, um, heartstrings plucked and played in, in my own fashion. And, uh. In thinking about it, there there were um, seven other close-up performers on the bill. Um, so uh, I, I figured, and, and looking at their personalities, I knew that each of them w was going to go for funny. They were going to go for humor because, you know, that's what you do. And it's I'm, I'm not going to say it's an easy thing because comedy is way difficult. But but they they were in their own style and in their own brand, in their own unique way, they were going to... Uh, present funny, with the exception of one, um, and, and I didn't know him very well, and I'm, I'm glad I got to meet him. And it's something I will talk about later or, or publish um, because he deserves his own uh, his own story. But for the most part, they were going to present funny. So for me, it wasn't even a question. I was going to go nostalgic. I wanted 
to be different. I wanted to stand out. And I had a quality piece, uh, a high-quality piece that would allow me to do that. So I did Silver Memories. And many, uh, many, many people in the, in the next, in the following days came up to tell me how much it moved them, how much it touched them, how they liked. I mean, at the very bare bones, it was, I liked how you changed that routine, how you made it your own. And of course, that's what I do. But on the other hand, uh, several people came up and said, you know, you made me think of my childhood. You transported me through time back to a, a happier time, and, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So, you know, that, that, that was my superpower. That's what I'm able to do. That's what my magic, I, I attempt for my magic to do. I've made a, uh, by, um, this is an aside, this is an entirely different thing. I have, uh, I have been studying different aspects of performance art and uh, spiritual study and some other things, and I'm looking at a mild Taoist approach, and there's, there's a certain thing of letting your ego get in the way of your story and your performance to where all you're doing is saying, hey, look at me, hey, look at me, hey, look at me. But there's an equally an equally damaging practice where you are consciously trying to push your ego down to get it out of the way of what you're doing uh, too much. And I'm trying to not damage my story by assuming that my ego is in the way. I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to be me. I'm trying to be the most real me that I can possibly be on this particular narrative, uh, podcasts, the things that I put out there. I want to be genuine with you. And hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll follow along and you'll listen. And if you don't, I hope you'll take something nice away with you when you go. Anyway, um, so I had lots of people come up and, and, and say how, uh, of course, I stood out and, and, the, and the story was, was nice and they, it, it transported them. And, and again, I, I got to change lives and that was wonderful. <laughs> and then I had a gentleman come up to me. I'm going to use that term. Gentleman came up to me and said, uh, you know, your, uh, your technique is, uh, is great. You, you really loved uh, the way you handle things really well. And uh, your magic is really strong, but, uh, but you don't want, you could lose all the touchy feely stories that you do. You know, you're, uh, you don't, you don't need all that bullshit. You could just do the tricks. All anybody wants to see is the tricks anyway. And your show would be a lot shorter if you didn't talk so much. You don't need to you don't need to tell stories. Nobody really wants to hear the stories. They just want to see stuff disappear. And I'm like, oh, okay. That well that that's one way to look at it, I suppose. Yeah, trust me. I've been doing magic now for forty years and uh, and I know what works and what doesn't work. And um I know the guy. I I, I know who he is and I, I I'm familiar with his own work. And all I could really say in response, and I'm now talking behind his back, the only thing I could say in response is, you've been doing this for 40 years, and that's as good as you've gotten? Okay. Uh, I'm going to take your advice with one massive grain of salt and basically ignore everything you're going to say. I know what my stories do. I know how it enhances the movement of my hands. And I, I guess, first and foremost, I am a showman and a storyteller. And I use magic as the vehicle. So, in the words of Aristotle, uh, suck it.
<laughs> and let me tell you, as a segue to that, um, this delightful, wonderful convention, in the words of, of my friend Brett Loudermilk, was absolutely maggoty with magicians. And I know, it's a magician's convention, but holy cow, there were, there were times, there were people on stage, there were artists on stage, both lecturing and performing, some really sound, beautiful, amazing magic and lessons right there in the palm of our hands, all 500 of us watching this, and, and there were people talking. And there were people on their cell phones. And dear God, there was a guy in front of me during one of the shows, during David Ben's lecture, watching basketball highlights on his phone. And he didn't even have the volume down. And uh, I, I'm just flat out amazed by that. If, if, you're, if you're bored, leave. If you're... If you're if you think you know better than the guy on stage, at least have the courtesy of the people around you to shut the hell up and not second-guess the guy on stage. Guy Hollingworth, who is a, an immaculate magician, he is English, uh, British, and, and a lovely, lovely man, fantastic practitioner of the art, on stage in, a, in an elegant tuxedo that actually looks like it belongs to him, note to magicians, um, as an MC, and part of the job of an MC is when things are being set up behind you, you kill time and you keep the audience interested and you keep, you know, you keep the show going. That's the job of an MC. And he was doing a beautiful job with it. You could tell that there was a problem with one of the acts and he had to kill some time. So he performed uh, a bit of magic and it was stunning. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful routine. Uh, something called Waving the Aces. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not. I don't know if any of his performances are on YouTube or not. But um, Mr. Hollingworth, he uh, he did that. And, and the guys behind me, the old gentlemen behind me, were just under their breath, just going, get on with it. Bring on the next act. Just, I would... We didn't come to see you. We want to see the blah, blah, blah. Just, just, just like that. Just horribly, horribly rude to this lovely man who's on stage. Guy Hollingworth. Look it up. And if you, if you get a chance, look it up and see if there are videos. Well worth your time to take a look at the elegance this man has in his work. And he's funny as hell, too, by the way. Um, but but the, the whole weekend was peppered with that, uh, which took some of the, the, the joy out of it for me. <clears throat> uh, I don't. I don't aim to let other people steal my joy, but dude, if you pay attention, there's some actually really good crap happening up there. It's not all you, you know? <laughs> he says, ironically. So th that, and, and I, I just feel like magic as an art would be better for it if the people that are looking at their phones or watching the basketball game or quietly heckling the MC on stage would instead, instead, embrace the art, embrace what their ability is, read a book, you know? Read a fucking book. Pick up something of, of some value to your art and, and, and learn from it. Even if you don't do the tricks, look at the philosophy and the beauty of, of everything that is out there. 
Derek Delgadio tweeted earlier this uh, this weekend something along the line. I don't have it in front of me. I did not prepare that good. Some of these things are just stream of consciousness, and I apologize. But Derek Delgadio said in his tweet, when in any other art form, when a singer is incredible or, or uh, a chef uh, creates an incredible work of art and, and everyone loves it, they describe that act as magical. She has a magical voice. He, he makes magic in the kitchen. And it's one of the highest forms of compliment that you can pay an artist that their work invoked magic. But on the other end of the spectrum, if you say you are a magician and you label yourself as a magician, that word carries negative connotations. And the irony in those two things is, is palpable. It, that magicians are so uh, demeaned and bottom of the ladder and, and, you know, cheap entertainment while we use the word magic as a compliment to all other art forms and, 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 and beyond. Uh, great observation by Derek um, and, and baffling uh, as someone who executes and performs magic as a living and having to overcome that bias in a lot of lay audiences uh, coming to the stage on a negative run because people have seen too many bad, lazy magicians who talked during the lecture instead of paying attention. Yeah, there's my soapbox. I'm off of it now. Uh, I think I said what I mean, and I think I got my point across. Embrace that that you love and, and strengthen it. In between making magic, in between the, the, the glories of, of day-to-day life and the beauties that surround us, we forget how beautiful and how fragile and how wonderful life is. Um, Jeff Williams said to me, I made a video of it, it's up on my Facebook page, said to, said to me <clears throat> in one of these long, drunken, philosophical um, conversations that I had that life is never fair, uh, quite often not fair and often painful, but it's good. Life is good. And there is so much good. There is so much color and texture and taste and, and beauty all around us. And, and it, it becomes, it, it is such love and beauty and, and, and excellence are so prevalent around us that we have grown numb to it in some cases. And we forget how amazing and how, astonish, how astonishing just to be alive is. Just to be able to draw air into your lungs and, and feel the life coursing through your own veins, that, that is so fragile and can be taken away in a moment. We forget. We build monuments to war and we build instruments to war instead of building instruments to love. We live in fear and we live in constant fear and we, and we turn our eyes away from people that are stockpiling weapons that are, that are just for destruction. In one of the debates that I tried to observe and not participate in online, someone made the absolute ludicrous statement that guns are completely safe if handled correctly. 
that guns are not a danger at all if handled correctly. And I'm thinking its primary function is to destroy. It's, it has no other use than to destroy something. You point it at what you want gone and it goes away. That's its purpose. You cannot say, handled correctly, guns are 100% safe and harmless because it's quite factually not true. And we build our statues to people that betrayed us. We build statues to the ones that wanted to enslave other human beings. And we do that in the name of history and preserving history and not forgetting history. And my friends, I will not forget and my children will not forget. And these stories will be told. We don't have to erect monuments to the losers. Sorry, that's the way I see it. Maybe I'm just an old fart. In all of those ups and downs and highs and lows, it occurs to me not pushing my ego away because it is a part of me, not letting it get out of control, of course, but not cowering that someone is going to think less of me because I let my ego get out on display, embracing that which I have been given and that I'm good at and, and, and sharing, wearing my heart on my sleeve, which I, I just do. Uh, sharing the pains that are in my life as well as the victories. It's who I am and what I'm going to continue to do. We all have our own journey to take. And the only way to get beyond the pain and the suffering and the loneliness and the lack of affection and, and everything else that that I'm, the burdens that are on me, the the financial burdens that are on me, the emotional, the spiritual burdens that are on me, the, the, the feeling that I'm not good enough, the feeling that I'm unattractive and no one will want to love me. No one will, will break through that barrier and say, hey, you're okay. I'd like to get to know you better. That my romantic life is over for my life. All of those things that I bear, I understand that they're temporary and that they're wrong. I can't see the future. I don't know who or what or where, but Max Howard himself, my, my mentor Max Howard, shouted into the phone at me that the time is coming and there is someone there for me and that there will be emotional support and spiritual support and physical support and affection and all the things that I need and crave will be provided because I am doing the right thing. And the only way to get beyond this pain, the only way to get beyond the valley is to go through it. I can't skip over it. I can't go around it. I've got to go through it, and you've got to go through it in your own in your own way. And that's the glory of what life is. We are experiencing this pain so that we can appreciate the happiness that comes along later. And while we are experiencing the happiness, we are storing up our joy for the times when we need it, when things take the downward turn. It's all just a part of what it is. I remember that I'm going to die. I remember that my time 
is not promised, and there might not be tomorrow, and there might not be next week or next year. I have right now, and to the best of my ability, I have to appreciate what I have right now. And I have breath in my lungs, and I have blood in my veins, and I have blood to spare so that I can give to those who are in need. And I give without pause, and I give without expecting something in return. I was, I was raised that way to a certain extent, and I have tried to discipline myself to not expect anything in return. And, and, and once you cross over into that, it's an amazing feeling just to be able to give for pure reason, not expecting heaven, not expecting reward, not expecting even an attaboy or a pat on the back, although I do love those things, but simply doing for the sheer joy, the sheer orgasmic joy of being able to give to someone in need. And whether that's laughter or smiles or money or a touch or a word or a shoulder, I have that ability and I'll try to give it as freely as I can. I will give to the best of my ability because I get a tremendous rush out of being able to do that. <laughs> Had someone call it a fetish <laughs> not long ago. The way beyond is to go through. It's, it's the direct way. It's the appropriate way. It's the right way. It was set up there for us. I'm going to miss music that Tom Petty never got to make. I am going to... There's going to be a certain amount of fear that's going to try to speak into my brain when I go out into public, when I'm out in a wide public space. It's the world I live in. I'm going to try to not look over my shoulder too much, instead focusing on the job that's in front of me or the work that's in my hands. I'm going to strive not to be jealous. I'm going to strive to simply love and be a friend. I have a tremendous capacity. We have a tremendous capacity to love. Tom left us, but he left us a huge legacy, an insane amount of music that spoke from his heart, a huge heart that he has. And you know, you could stand him up at the gates of hell, but he won't back down. I've heard. And so the road goes on. And I remember Nuremberg, and I remember that the war came to an end. And I remember, and I don't remember who the quote is from, it's something that I wrote down a long time ago, <clears throat> but uh, wars aren't won. They are declared by some kind of collective madness which overtakes foolhardy governments, and they are ended when the madness subsides, possibly out of simple mutual exhaustion. We don't have to fight. This is worldwide. We're, we're all literally in this space together. And it is childish and wrong and insanity to fight each other over symbols and ideology. And we can love right now. We don't have to kill in the name of heaven. We can love right now.
we can make music. We can create new card tricks. We can make food. We can, we can make blankets. We can sew and we can heal. Because I believe... I was about to tell you a lie. We are a warrior race. We are a warrior species. We are a selfish, ignorant, brilliant people. We are a violent, violent tribe. And we will kill each other in the name of pride, in the name of anger, in the name of fear. But there are those of us who know there is a better way and know that there is love above fear and that there is peace above anger. And our nature is to be angry and our nature is to lash out and our nature is to speak harsh words. But those things can be overcome. You can demand your own way. You can demand vengeance. You can live in fear. Or you could love. I'm going to do card tricks. I'm going to make people laugh or feel nostalgic or weep happy tears. I'm going to write the words of my stories and tell of the things I've learned and hopefully touch somebody else's soul. And everything comes back. And the reason that I'm doing this podcast and the reason I'm saying these words in my office in an empty room into a microphone in the hopes that it reaches your ears is that you can too. Wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your gift is, whatever your prison is, whatever you found yourself imprisoned in, you have a voice and a way to use it. You have a talent and an opportunity to present it to someone else. I believe that firmly. I've built my whole life around it. And if I'm wrong, at the end, I will still have led a good life. I will have lived. I, I, I live out loud. I live my sorrow out loud. I live the anger that I get out loud. I live my love out loud. I am living my life. And if I am denied... If there is a heaven and I am at the gates of it and I am denied, I can rest in hell knowing that I lived a good life and I did well by other people. Ah, so there, huh? I'm going to close this out. I mean, I could sit here and ramble for another hour or two, but I don't know how many of you are still listening, even at this point. Leave me some feedback. Let me know what you think. Ask me questions. I'll be more than happy to address them here. Um, think of me every once in a while. How about that? This coming week, I'm going to be traveling to Virginia Beach for a show, following that up to Pittsburgh. And from Pittsburgh, I am flying to L.A. to do a week at the Magic Castle. Um, I will be recording a, generally a daily diary on the Patreon page, if you're following me on Patreon, um, I uh, take some time each evening, most every evening, to at least jot the thoughts down of the day uh, there as a public diary. It's it's the contribution I'm putting up for that. 
Um, so you can find me there. There will be daily musings on the Facebook. I'm, I'm doing less and less on Facebook um, and trying to channel it into more positive channels than Facebook is. Um, I mean, I let my light shine, but there are better ways I can spend my energy. Um, so the, the blog and the Patreon and, and, and this, this place here. Uh, there will be videos coming soon. So watch out for those. But uh, Week at the Magic Castle, that should be a lot of fun. I, I hope to learn a lot. I hope to to brighten a lot of hearts. Uh, check out my friends at burlesquepodcast.com and geekgrills.com. Live your life. It's an amazing life to live. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you made me a part of it, at least for today. And I'm grateful for your friendship, and I'm grateful for your ears to listen to my <laughs> my psychotic ramblings. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I hope there's love where you are.
I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for tonight. Bye.